Hello everyone. This is the Motorsports and Driver Development Show. And if you have been listening for a little while, you may notice that this is a different intro than usual. The nice thing about having a young podcast is that we can play around with different ways of doing things. And so we are going to try a new segment called What's Going On? But first, a quick introduction. My name is Katie Lopovich. And I'm Keto Bromeyer. And we are the co-founders of the Northwest Rally Association, which is a rallycross and rally sprint series up here in the Pacific Northwest of the U.S. Um, and we also founded Mod Racing, which has a couple purposes. Mod is a sanctioning body under which we run all our events, and we're welcoming some new clubs under our fold. Mod also is a program to allow us to create education for new and aspiring drivers, hence the driver development piece. And that is where we got the idea for this podcast. So that's about us. And for the what's going on section, um, right now we're doing, we're actually doing kind of a lot of racing. We're super fortunate to be able to do what, what we're calling here in Washington, Participant-only motorsports. So that means our racers can show up, uh, participate all by themselves in their cars. But So no spectators, but it's really, really great. We feel really super, super fortunate to be able to be out and racing. And this last weekend, we had a really cool event. We did. So this past weekend, we raced in Albany, Oregon at Albany MX Park. Uh, was a new venue for us. Um, we had great turnout. We did two days of racing. We did a Saturday and a Sunday. Um, the venue is fantastic. It's literally right off the freeway, which makes it super easy. Normally we have to drive miles sometimes on side roads to find our venue. Um, it was close to town, hotels, restaurants. There was a lake. Some people actually went swimming um during our course break it had a clay surface uh, which held up really well a couple other features of the venue are that it has a eight mile drag strip with another eighth or quarter mile rundown so we were able to use that there are tons of elevation changes we had a tunnel uh, and then on Sunday, uh, we even did um, a tabletop jump and started at the drag strip and ran the eighth mile. Ryan from Albany MX was awesome in helping us keep the event running smooth with watering and tractoring. It wasn't much tractoring, but it was a hot day, so we had a ton of watering to do. A hundred degrees. Yeah. So it uh, went really well. Um, sounds like the participants, competitors, had a great time, got some really epic footage. Um, so look out for that as well. Yeah, um, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook, Northwest Rally Association or NW Rally Association. Some of those, some of those shots and those videos are pretty sweet coming out of that event. Yep. And coming up, we have our fifth annual Rally Cross Fest. If you don't know, Rally Cross Fest is a multi-day extravaganza where we have a novice Rally Cross class, an advanced Rally Cross class. This year we have a second advanced Rally Cross class because it sold out so quickly, a practice day, and it all culminates with a race day on Sunday all at Dirtfish out in Snoqualmie. That's right. Two different courses. Spend half your day on one course, 
and half your day on the other course, um, and it is the a combination of uh, both courses uh, times uh, is how you do your score. Yep, yep, we'll add them all up. So yep. it's often our one of our most favorite events. For us, it's really fun because it's just such a great way. You bring brand new drivers in, they take the novice class. We see a lot of the folks who take the novice class end up on the podium on race weekend. It's, okay. it's super fun, it's really sure. exciting. Yeah, we partner with Dirtfish on this event. Um, we hold it at Dirtfish. Uh, we uh, use both Dirtfish instructors as well as uh, Northwest Rally Association slash mod uh, driving instructors. Um, as well, uh, so lots of seat time, lots of practice, um, you know, elements out there uh, that you can work on one at a time and just figure out how you're faster, how you can drive it more smoothly, so on and so forth. Yeah, so that event is coming up August 13th, 13th or 16th, yep. and registration closes this Friday, July 31st. So. You guys will be hearing this episode, hopefully, if you listen on time, a couple days before that. So be sure to sign up, um, nwrallyassociation.com. It's our website. Yeah. So, lots of good stuff. Yeah, you're not going to want to miss this one. No. But, let's get to the interview. Today, we are talking to Katie Munning, a professional rally driver out of the UK. She's a Red Bull athlete. She's a powerhouse. And we get to talk to her about how she got started um, sort of what, how she ended up coming up through the ranks with the support of her dad. She sort of jumped right in headfirst head first in every way she performed. You guys will hear, she has a hilarious story about how she started out, but it's really clear why she's been successful. She has the right mindset. She's very talented. She's very smart. And it's a really great conversation. If you are interested in just hearing about someone who has taken that leap, if you yourself want to hear more about the plunge of getting into the professional side of things, it's a, it's a really great conversation. Yes, it is. Thank you for your agreement. <laughs> so without further ado, please join me in welcoming Katie Munnings to the Mod Show.
Welcome to the Motorsports and Driver Development Show. My name is Katie. And I'm Keto. And today we are joined with British Rally driver Katie Munnings. Thank you for being with us today. Thanks for chatting to me. It's great to meet you both. Yeah, you too. I'm first, I just have to give a little shout out. The um, FIA Women in Motorsports Commission really made this interview come together and we're super stoked. So just for everyone listening, if you don't already follow that, the work that's going on there, definitely, definitely check that out. It's super cool stuff. For sure. Yeah. Um, so we're going to take it all the way back. And usually when I ask people how they got into rally, there's some like funny story about like stumbling into it. But I believe you were actually like born into a rally family, right? Well, yeah, I wasn't. My dad wasn't really rallying when I was born. So he when he was in his 20s and his 30s, he was rallying at a small level. He never had the budget to do it properly. Um, but he would he would be doing international stuff in Belgium and he was really quick as well. Um, and then he had kids and then all the finances went, as we know. <laughs> and so what he basically did was he started working as an instructor at rally school. Um, so that was the Brands Hatch and London rally schools. He set those up. Um, and so when I was probably, God, I don't know, I must've been about five. I think I went first went and sat in a rally car with him. Um, and I absolutely loved it. I could barely see out of the windscreen. I was so tiny and I was just looking up and could just see the tree line. And I just thought it was the most exciting thing in the world. Um, so that's probably when I got involved and that was my first experience of rally. Um, but he wasn't competing and I've, you know, my whole life that I've known him, he hasn't been competing. Um, but he's kind of served as my coach when I got into rally when I was a bit older. I definitely grew up around motorsport because where I lived as a child, we had a family farm um, that was running a corporate entertainment company. So that was things like quad bikes and buggies and like clay pigeons shooting there was loads of land so I was just out in old cars all the time so it wasn't kind of competition um motorsport family it was more just us having fun and um, picking up some skills that way that's so cool um does your family still have the farm and the events do you know what the, we don't have the events anymore we still live in the same place um, at the minute and um, but yeah it's yeah we haven't I think we've got maybe one or two quad bikes left over um but no they're, they're not running the company anymore um but they were probably up until I was about um 16 something like that so the good part of my childhood when I was learning to drive mm -hmm. I had plenty of resources around I love that <laughs> so did you ever get a actually see your dad race or by then he was retired no, and you know what, that's, I think that's one of my wishes and one of my goals in life is to get him back in a rally car. I'd love to co-drive for him. Um, I'd love to take him over. I think one of his favorite rallies is Ypres Rally in Belgium. So I'd love to go over with him and um, do that event. And yeah, I think I'd love to see him behind the wheel. He says he gets as much enjoyment from watching me now as he used to get when he was driving. But I know that if you love driving, you know, it's a completely different thing, isn't it, when you're doing it yourself. So um, yeah, I, would, I think that's definitely on my bucket list. That would be so cool. Does that mean that when you started expressing interest, he was really supportive or was he like, oh no, this is not a life you want to live? <laughs> I think there's probably always a bit of nerves when you talk about motorsport in a family, just because we all know how expensive it is. Um, but actually it was, it, we didn't really kind of get involved thinking it would, it would go into competition. Um, the way that it started was me and my sister when we were about 14, um, he said he wanted us to do auto testing on the grass. And here locally, we've got a motor club um, and it teaches you handbrake turns and, you know, uh, tricks like that and just car control. And he said he wanted us to do it because where we live is quite remote. So in the winter, the lanes can get quite icy and snowy and he wanted us to have some handling skills. Um, so we just used to do it for fun when we were about 14, all the way up to we started driving on the roads. Um, and I got more and more competitive and that's kind of how we got into it. It wasn't kind of me saying, Dad, I want to go racing. Dad, I want to go racing. Um, it was more, 
I started doing it and then I realized how much fun it was and I loved the adrenaline I loved the competition um, and it went from there really and how did you make the jump from not really being all about competition to now <laughs> well do you know what? I think it all came together in the end it's one of those things you look back on and it makes sense uh, because I was I've, I've always been such a competitive person um during that time I was at school and I was competing nationally in athletics as well so I was doing heptathlons and I was training every day and I, I had a coach and you know we were competing at a high level and I so sports wise I had definitely had that streak in me and I think that really translated into motorsport as well um but now now I can't imagine not being competitive in motorsport you know I, I absolutely love it and the first time I sat in the rally car I think I, I'd never driven any rally car before and I went straight out to France um, and I was testing with Peugeot Sport. Um, I had an opportunity to come up with a French team and it was literally off the side of Mont Blanc. So it was a really steep mountain. Um, it was a gravel track, it was single file. And I was driving this left-hand drive car. Bearing in mind, I was, um, well, I was, must have been just 17. I passed my driving test in England. But I was only used to driving right-hand drive on the right side of the road. And suddenly I was in France and it was left-hand drive and it was a sequential gearbox. And you know, that so much was new about it. I remember being so overwhelmed, but the feeling of wanting to be able to tackle something and the challenge of it was what really um, interested me initially. I'm curious about like the first actual competition event you did. It sounds like things sort of fell into place. Did you, were you prepared for it? Did you just jump in and see what happened? Well, yeah, it was a massive case of learning on the job. Um, what happened actually was I was in school and I was doing my A-levels at the time, so my final exams at school. Um, and I was in a position where we'd been speaking to the European Championship. We Just by chance, we'd been spectating at an event and we were in a bar with one of the organisers at the end of the rally. Um, and he was saying we need more women in motorsport. And um, my dad at the time was, you know, he can, because he's been a driving instructor for years, he says that he can recognize if someone's got some talent or um, some skills and how to nurture it. And so he said, you know, they were talking about it and he gave um, us the contacts of a French team. And that was uh, the, the kind of satellite Peugeot sport team. Mm -hmm. And they were looking for a female at the time. They were looking for, um, to get more women involved in motorsport. And they wanted somebody that was a beginner and that could, they could train up through their kind of um, rally academy training program. So I kind of felt that was how I got that first test with Peugeot. Um, I kind of fell into the right time and I, I walked away from that test and we kind of decided, okay, let's try the European championship then. And by that time I didn't even have a rally license. So I think I had, I only had a few months because it was the off season. So I had to do five rallies in five weekends or something crazy. And it was literally the last five rallies of the year in the UK. And this was to qualify for my license. So me and my dad used to go out, he'd be co-driving me. And I'd also be studying for my exams at the same time. So I'd be driving in a van across England and I'd be reading the books in the back. And then, um, and I had to finish these events because if I didn't finish, we didn't get the signature on my license. So it was more kind of surviving that stage of it. But the first event that I actually did, we decided would be Ypres Rally. So that was a year on from where we'd had that initial conversation with the organizers. Um, and it also tied down, it was, I didn't know this at the time, but actually it was coming in that it would fit in with my A-level exam. So it was literally on the same day in England. So the way that I had to do it was I test the week before um, out in Belgium with the team. And then I'd have to come home, um, sit my exam, because I live only kind of half an hour from the Channel Tunnel. So it's not that far to drive to Belgium from here. Um, but what actually happened was I was testing and I crashed the car really badly, completely wrote the car off. Um, horrific conditions. It was really wet and really muddy and we were on such a narrow road. 
and what I talked about earlier of not knowing um, my road positioning very well, switching to left-hand drive. Um, my wheel was like this far on the grass and it just spun us around and we hit um, an electricity pylon and we ended up completely writing off the car. Um, and so we had to say to the team, okay, we're going to go back to England now. I've got my biology A-level tomorrow morning. You can fix the car. So the, the team fixed the car literally overnight. I came back and did my biology A-level. Then that afternoon, after the exam, I had to go back on the Eurotunnel straight across because I was qualifying that afternoon in Belgium. <laughs> it was the maddest experience of my life. Um, and uh, yeah, that exam, I was just not concentrating at all. I was so grateful to be alive. I'd has, just had my first rally crash and it was, you know, it was so overwhelming, the whole experience. Um, and then I went on to, I finished the rally um, and I was so excited to get to the end. I remember just being so excited that we'd made it and that we hadn't crashed again. Um, I think that's probably still the most proud I've ever felt at the end of an event. It was just such a sense of achievement to get through that week. Wow. And yeah. so did it get easier from there? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think if you're looking for an easy sport, motorsport is definitely not the one, is it? Um, but yeah, I mean, it wasn't so stressful, definitely. In the future, I had more time to prepare for events and I didn't have to dart back to England in the middle of it. Um, and then I went on and I was in the European Championship for a couple more years, I think, um, before I decided to move to the World Championship this year. Um, so it became like a fat second family for me. You know, I love the championship, love the competitors and such cool organisers as well. So um, yeah, really proud to be a part of that. So uh, your training, did your dad do most of the initial training and from there did you get some other training or has he been your, your main source? Yeah, so I think because he was always like close to me, he would always be on the test, he'd always be at the rally. So he was probably the one that knew me the best and knew my driving style the best. So he could pick up things quickly. Mm -hmm. um, when I first started with Peugeot, they kind of put me in with this French guy who was um, French national champion at the time really experienced driver um, and he helped me a lot he used to come along to my first initial testing days and would sit with me and would give me tips and um, I also started working with a really experienced co-driver which really helps she brought her knowledge of reading the road um, and they always say in rally to be fast you have to have good pace notes so she, we really worked a lot on developing a good pace note system um, so I work with her I'm hoping to start working with a new Latvian coach this year I mean obviously I haven't really been able to do much this year um, but we're really trying to plan ahead to see that what we can do for the rest of the year to hopefully get back out in the car. That's so cool. I'm, you're talking about this weekend where you had testing and a crash and your exams and then a race. Talk to me about how you manage just your stress and your nerves and focusing. Like how do you, I'm sure all race weekends have some element of uncertainty. How do you navigate all of that? Yeah, I think it's definitely, you, you always think the more you're in it, the less nervous you'll become. And it's never that way. I always shock myself with how nervous I get at the beginning of a race. Um, and it doesn't matter how much preparation you do. I think you, that's a natural part of sports. But I think the way that you can manage it is what's really important. So I started working with a kind of sports psychologist. Um, I only really have one session with him because I found that his tips still work to this day. And it wasn't something that I needed to kind of keep working on. Um, First of all, he, he told me to read a book called The Inner Game of Tennis, which I really recommend. Um, such a good book. Um, and it was kind of talking about, you've probably heard of your monkey mind and, and how not to get caught up in your thoughts. And it had some breathing techniques, but it would, it would talk through tennis players. And it was sort of saying how, why tennis players always went wrong on the pressure shot at the end of the match. And, you know, it was talking through the whole pressure environment in your brain and how it can affect your performance. Um, and I started working with him and on some breathing techniques that can 
change like the composition of your body so you feel relaxed which then tricks your mind to think you're relaxed and then you feel relaxed so it's kind of uh, some good tips like that so I sometimes I just use them in my rally car um another big one for me was visualization um so he gave me he literally downloaded he made a, a video which was um it's not a video it's an mp4 so it's um no mp3 the sound one that's mp3 isn't it yeah <laughs> Um, I always get confused. Um, and it's basically what he did was recorded the sound um, that I will of the rally car starting in the time control before a race. So it's literally to the same speed. So you'll enter time control in rally, you'll hand your time card over, you'll have time to put your gloves on, you'll pull up to the start line and then you go. And exactly to the right time, he um, prepared this video, uh, this audio for me, which is him talking me through how confident I am. It's like a trigger. So he was saying, you're, you're putting your gloves on now, you can hear the engine, you're, you're putting into first gear. And it's something you're meant to do when you're not on a race. So you'll be doing that when you're at home. Um, and the trigger is putting your gloves on. So I'll literally be sitting in my bedroom and I'll put my gloves on. And for me, the way that with the timing that it works, he always says to imagine yourself in the most confident state so that you're really ready, really excited, and you're so prepared for the event. And putting your gloves on gives you that confident feeling. And then it's meant to be a trigger. So when you actually are in the rally car and you put your gloves on, you bring that confident feeling, you know, it's, it's the natural reflex. And it's all to do with the brain pathways and, you know, how you learn things and you develop. I'm not, I don't really know the technical side of it, but it seems to work for me. So I go with it. Um, if anything else, it's just psychological, I guess. But um, I think I started working on some techniques like that. And that helped me to control the unknown, you know, and how to adapt to different situations. Because in motorsport, you know, we'll be in the middle of nowhere. And the strangest things can happen. I remember one year we were in Rome, we were doing Rally Rome, um, and literally I think two hours before the event, our road car got broken into. We were waiting for the opening ceremony and all of our pace notes were stolen, my co-drivers overalls, everything was stolen. Um, so we didn't have any pace notes, bearing in mind we'd spent two days preparing for the event, making pace notes, driving around all the roads. Um, and so she literally had to make pace notes from the sound of my voice on a GoPro video that we'd had in the car during the recce. Uh, so she was trying to really listen out to see what I was saying to rewrite these pace notes. And we literally had about an hour to do it before we were starting the rally that night. Um, so I think when, you, when you're able to adapt and not get overwhelmed by those kind of situations, that's when it's um, really important in motorsport. I'm overwhelmed just hearing that. <laughs> yeah, wow, that would be... I was gutted, it was awful. Was it was it a fellow competitor trying to swim? <laughs> yeah, that's the conspiracy. No, I don't think it was. Uh, we actually saw them. What happened was uh, we were doing a parade in the city centre of Rome. So where the rally was, it was actually in the surrounding mountains, about an hour from Rome. Um, and that we were kind of going into the city. We were doing a city stage for the spectators, and then it was kind of a parade, and then we'd drive back. But where we'd parked was obviously quite a busy kind of touristy area of Rome, where obviously you've got people that are breaking into cars and stuff. Mm. Even though it was a public car park, there was cameras and everything. And we we sat in the police um, in the police station for ages. I remember my parents were there, so they sat in there for us while we were waiting to compete. And it was just they were just like, well, it just happens. <laughs> it's Italy, so. <laughs> Like, you can take my money, you can take everything, just don't take my pace notes. <laughs> no, I'm thinking, God, like, they took the weirdest things. I remember they took six <laughs> litres of water as well out the back. I thought, why are you going to take that, you know? <laughs> so how so how did the notes turn out, or did you just end up having to read the road a lot? Yeah, I mean, th that was the kind of thing for me, was to then trust my co-driver and trust what we had, because that's, you know, there's no point in doing an event if you're going to be half into it, because you just lose so time so quickly when you think each day, a stage that we're driving is about 25 kilometers. Um, and then you've got 16 of them over the weekend. And if you're not 
if you're if you're constantly losing time because of that you you know you're going to be minutes off by the end of the event so um that was the game for me it was the mental side and it was actually okay for us um i felt worse for my teammate because his car there were two cars that were still broken into and his car was broken into um and he'd lost everything including his gopro oh. so he couldn't even listen back to the video from their recce to hear what they'd made the pace notes they'd made i remember he took my gopro and tried to make pace notes from the pace notes that i'd made when you think how different every driver is and how different they read the road and everything, you know, it was really tough. I mean, he actually crashed the next day. So, I, you know, we'll never know if it was due to the pace notes or if it was him trying to get some time back. But, um, yeah, it was a really unfortunate event. Do you feel like the experience that you had as an athlete when you were younger is translating over into motorsports now? Yeah, I think it definitely is. Um, I've a lot of the schools are the same. I think it's the competition side, so it's the competitiveness and how you handle pressure in that moment. Um, so I think before the event is often more important than the actual event, and that would be exactly the same with any sport. I think you know it's the preparation, it's what you do in the lead up, and it's how you how you change the game in your head mentally. Um, and it was the same. I was goal shooter in netball at school, so it was always about getting it in, and it was you know that's that's a lot of pressure in itself as well when you think about it. Um, but then I think a lot of it also in motorsport is uncontrollable by you, you know, unless you're, you've got massive budgets that you can control yourself, which I never had. It was always kind of looking for sponsorship. And um, I think that side of it is slightly out of your control. You know, you can put the work in, but um, you have to kind of not get lucky, but you know, but the opportunities have to be there for you at the end of the day. Um, and I think a big part of it was just accepting that, you know, okay, I'll do everything that I can. Um, and you have to kind of let go of the rest to kind of let it come into you a bit instead of just stifling it. I think that's the the other thing that I had to learn as well. It's one of the skills that probably didn't I, you wouldn't necessarily have in any other sport um, that doesn't have the same kind of financial input. Yeah. So you mentioned sponsorship. Uh, how much of your time and energy uh, do you spend either getting sponsors or fulfilling sponsorship requirements, um, that sort of stuff? Uh, yeah, it's a big part of the time, actually. I think it's more than people think, um, especially for motorsport. I know I keep saying that, but I think, you know, having spoken to athletes in other sports, they kind of don't, they don't need, have the same needs. They don't have to put the same into it. Um, and I think especially in my first couple of years while I was trying to build a name for myself, um, it would almost be like a 90-10 ratio of me trying to find sponsorship compared to the actual driving. Um, and that's still pretty much the case now, you know, motorsport, I probably drive still only like 10 to 20% of the time. The rest of it is all work you do around it. It's not like, you know, I'm not a footballer. I can't just go and pick up a ball in the evening and go and play, you know, it's uh, for me to practice my team, you know, normally as in, in the South of France, but this year I've been with a team in Poland. Um, so that's a long way for me to get to my car. If I want to test, we've got to close a road. There's got to be police. There's got to be ambulances. Um, so it's, you know, it's an expensive to do that as well. So we normally we'll only have sort of one test day before an event in that location. And maybe we'll have two or three organized tests throughout the year around that anyway. Um, so it's not a lot of the time. And I think then the, the more um, you kind of compete, the more sponsors you attract. And then obviously they, they kind of need something from you in return, which I love doing to be honest with you. I, I really enjoy it. I get to travel so much. I get to meet so many cool people. Um, I think me, uh, working with Red Bull as well has been awesome for me, not from just kind of a sponsorship level, but 
more from the uh, the interaction that you have with some of the other athletes and the opportunities that they give you. I remember the day before my birthday last year, um, they phoned me and they were like, oh, we need somebody to go up in a stunt plane with one of our Red Bull um, flyers in Austria. Do you want to go up? And I was like, yeah, okay. So it was li literally, I was on a flight, like a day later, I was on a flight out to Austria. I was in a stunt plane with one of the top stunt pilots over the mountains in Austria. And he was kind of do doing a quick fire interview with me. And that was, you know, just part of, part of normal life for them so you know that was it is, you do you do get some cool opportunities and then you get to bounce back kind of ideas from other athletes and I think that hurt, helped me learn a lot about um also the stress of being an athlete and the pressure and what we were talking about earlier with how you handle it mentally it's really interesting to get other athletes opinions on that kind of thing so, so what advice would you give somebody coming into it who uh you know is looking to get some sponsorship to sort of move up um, what, what would you say to them? How, how would you tell them to go about doing that? I think always start with your local motor club. Um, it's at the beginning, it's very much kind of use what you can get from people that, you know, I know that people in local, local motor clubs are always keen to get the next generation involved. And I know that, you know, they'll be so supportive and give what they can and help you in any way possible. And even if it's just giving you a contact with somebody in a team that you can go and kind of hang out with, or do some work experience with or whatever it might be. I think um, financially, it's always a difficult one getting sponsors. I think, um, especially you know, in, after the pandemic now, I think it's even you know, is you know, it's an even trickier place. Um, but I, on the other side of it, um, you know, it's a great platform. Motorsports, you know, historically has such a cool history, and I think that will continue into the future. Um, I think one thing, one piece of advice that I was given at the beginning was always make sure that you have an edge. So try and have something that nobody else has. Um, for me, it was maybe a bit more obvious being a girl rather than you know everybody else being guys predominantly that were going for rally budget. Um, so I think it's always try and um, lean on something that makes you stand out from the crowd. And I'd say if you can develop that, whether it's if you're good on camera and good in interviews, you're really cool on social media, or you've got other sports that you can showcase as well. I think that's really cool to push that kind of thing. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. <clears throat> First of all, I do want to say your social media is very interesting. I like, I follow you and I love it. I think you do a great job because you talk about kind of all the different sides of it, the fitness part, sort of what day to day looks like, the racing. I just, I love it. You do a great job. Um, oh, that's so good. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I would love for you to talk about your experience, not only being female, but being so young when you started. I'm, I'm sure you probably stuck out like a sore thumb. <laughs> how did, how did people receive you? Did you run into different challenges that other people maybe don't deal with? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it was, you know, it's a, it was a blessing at the same time. I kind of didn't want it because I was, I was kind of getting a lot more media attention being, for example, in my first event in EPA, I was getting a lot more media attention than perhaps I would have done if I was a guy because it was like, oh, it's a new female on the scene. What's she going to be like in her first event? Whereas if I was a guy, it probably wouldn't have been, there's a new guy on the scene. What's he going to be like in his first event? Because that's, you know, pretty normal out there. So then all of a sudden, everyone was watching my first rally. And I was thinking, oh God, I need to go out and win the rally. But of course, that's not what happens. You know, everybody <laughs> takes time to learn, the girls and the guys. And I think it probably cast me into the spotlight a little bit, which I didn't really want at the time, because I just kind of wanted to learn under the radar. Um, but at the same time, I then recognized, okay, without that, you know, you don't know which sponsor's seen that news article or BBC Sport, whatever it was. So, you know, you don't know how your opportunities come um, from that kind of exposure. So, you know, I think it's it's a good thing inevitably. But at the time, I remember always saying like, oh, no, I just want to go and do this without anybody knowing or, you know, without anyone watching me. I just want to learn and get fast and then go out into the world. But of course, that's not how reality happens, is it? You're kind of there. And if you're doing it, you've got to be... Um, you know, open to the fact that you are opening yourself up for criticism and for people's opinions as well. 
Let's talk about that. I am sure you get criticism, although I frankly haven't seen any, but I'm sure it happens. How do you handle that and what do you do with it? Yeah, I think it's it's one of those things. I mean, I remember I watched um, an interview with the current world champion um, and he was saying that, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, he's a world champion, so I don't think many people can argue with his talent, but he was saying you can read a thousand comments on Instagram and they can be good and there can be one that's bad and which one are you going to remember? It's always going to be the bad one. Um, and I think the first kind of bad negative comments that you get are always the ones that sting. I remember um, when I was competing, I had um, I had of like somebody telling me, oh, stop driving, go and paint your nails or go and make me a sandwich and all of that kind of thing. And I remember thinking like, oh my God. But it was the first kind of criticism and negative comments that made, they like, I remember exactly, I was driving home from that rally in Belgium. And I remember like literally I was sat on the Eurotunnel. I'd just been scrolling through and I'd seen it. And I was so shocked that someone would comment on somebody else's life and when they're trying to do something for themselves. I was like, oh my God. And I was so upset. I remember I was crying and my dad was like, look, you can't, you can't be upset by it. People are going to, you know, everyone's going to have an opinion. And these people haven't experienced what you've just experienced this week. They're just seeing it from how they're seeing it behind their screens. Um, and I think once I'd really made myself like overcome that and, you know, grow a thick skin since then, I don't, I, you don't get affected by the comments because I will read them and I'll just sit there and I'll think, yeah, but I'm doing what I want to do and they're doing what they want to do. And so we can all just live our lives and not get affected by it. But I think it's very hard, especially when you're young coming into motorsports, you know, for those, but I guess, you know, you're never going to control what everyone's putting out on the internet and trolls are going to be trolls. But <laughs> I think as long as you're happy and you're, you know, going in the right direction and you're standing for what you believe. in, I think, you know, just keep doing your thing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And by the way, the people who are commenting those negative comments are not doing what they want to do. And that's why they're that's why they're comments. Comments. <laughs> they want to do what you're doing. <laughs> I think the point where I realized that those comments are more about that person, like they're, they are so unhappy that they're willing to go and spew whatever yeah. they spew. Like that was a really big eye opening moment for me. I'm like, okay, I understand. Sometimes people yeah. do give good feedback. There's a difference, but Trolls will be trolls, as yes. you said. <laughs> so you have some pretty exciting things coming up on the horizon. Obviously, the world is kind of on pause right now. But aside from that, tell us what you're working on next. Yeah, I mean, I was so excited for this year because it was the year that we kind of pulled up the courage and we started talking about, okay, junior world rally championship next up and, and we managed to get one event at the beginning of the year but even then I can imagine I can remember walking through the airport pulling like my headscarf off of my face and being like oh god no you know is it gonna I remember thinking coronavirus is a thing we had it on the news in, in China when we were out there so I remember walking around with this scarf up thinking oh god you know you never know and I would never have imagined that we'd have got to where we got to now this year with you know lockdown and everything like that um so obviously you know it put put pause on plans for this year for everyone um and I think it was probably quite good to have that time to kind of um collect everything normally motorsport seasons as you know can be like hectic and you can be all over the place and you don't have a lot of time to collect your thoughts and get back to the basics of it and um, so that um that was a positive also the esports training and the sim training was cool and um, I had a rig here where I was playing the WRC game as well so that was pretty cool we were running online competitions um I think for the future now, the way that we're looking at it is for this year, we're still, you know, this championship calendars have been published, but still kind of there's rumors that we're not really sure which events are going to run. And, you know, it's quite a big commitment um, for the year. So I think what we're looking at is the way that we can get the most seat time as possible, um, whether that be through testing with a coach, um, maybe not necessarily, you know, competing in all of the rallies, but kind of finding days when we can go and on our own accord um, arrange events so that hopefully they won't be cancelled um, but yeah I think 
for next year, I think we're kind of looking forward to that point and that's where we're kind of working back from. And um, we're seeing that as, okay, we want to start next year in the best position we want to have as much seat time and be as fast as we can for the start of next year when hopefully things will be back to normal completely um, and there'll be a proper JWRC season. Um, so that's what we're kind of looking towards and getting all our sponsors on board for that. I think other than that, um, I'm really excited to be in the Driver Extreme E programme, which is cool. Um, it's good. It looks like a really cool championship. Um, electric SUVs, off-road in the most amazing places. I'd love to just visit as a tourist. So, um, yeah, that's, an ex that's a cool thing to be involved in. I think especially during lockdown, we all became aware of you know climate change and all of these issues when we saw the world slow down and we saw the impact that that had I think that's a really cool and it really opened my eyes to think okay this is really something we need to be thinking about in motorsport as well um so that's on the horizon um so yeah all good things hopefully next year will be busy for us yes right. yeah <laughs> so the extreme e um program isn't that uh is that, that a program where you have a co-driver and you guys switch back and forth too yeah so it's i think it, it got a lot of press recently because they announced it was the kind of first series where the driver um overall results the team result at the end of it depended on the female's time and the male's um, time together so it wasn't like a you know i could win and then the male driver could come second it was our combined time and that was how we won the race um so each team has one male and one female you'll do a lap and then you'll swap. So the male will co-drive female and then the male will drive. So it's, you know, you've got to be good at both. Um, and it's kind of off-road. I think they're doing one in Greenland, one in the Amazon and the Himalayas. So it's kind of going all over the place. Um, and I think it, it will be great because it's giving women the same credibility in terms of results that males have had um, historically. It's not just choosing a woman to have a woman in the team and not really caring where they finish and, you know, having it for kind of media purposes. Mm -hmm. Now it's kind of, you know, the females that are going to be selected are going to be looked at for their, you know, racing stats. And I think that's a really positive step forwards for women as well in motorsport. Right. So most people that I know that are drivers have, um, how do I put this, a very difficult time being in the silly seat um how's that how's that for you <laughs> do you know what i think i think i've got used to it because that was the only way i could learn from teammates while i was kind of um coming up through the rankings i think the first couple of times i sat in the co-driver's seat i was absolutely blown away by the speed and you know i think it always feels different when you're driving to when you're co-driving you, you don't trust it as much and it's i could never be a co-driver full-time you know i look at them in rallies and i think gosh don't you just want to get behind the wheel um but i think that's quite a good skill to have now going into the into this extreme because we will be able to learn from each other you'll be able to bounce off each other and um where their strengths are and um, and i think having that not having that experience of sitting in the co-driver's seat is really useful going forwards i think some of the you know people that haven't done it before maybe some of the um track racers that come in and they haven't sat in the co-driver's seat before it'll be so interesting to watch their onboard cameras from the first couple of tests because it is a massively different feeling um i've got a little bit of co-driving experience so hopefully that can give, give us a little bit of an edge although you know i'm, I'm not going to say that my face won't be the picture the first time I sit in the co-driver's seat of that as well. <laughs> <laughs> Are you spending any time or like is everyone together spending time trying to brush up on their pace notes and their co-driver skills? Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, it's a funny one because it's always one where you've, whenever there's been a co-driving opportunity as a driver, you always shy away from it because it's not where you want to be, you know, um, if you're a driver. But now it's something you've got to, you've got to put the time and effort into. So, um, 
Yeah, I think it's definitely a funny one. Um, I did a rally, was it last year? Yeah, in Monza in Italy. I was co-driving for a friend just at the end of the year. Um, and I remember I had like the watch and everything so I could get all of that out. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a funny time at the minute because we're just hearing about all the championship plans and some of the rules are still being finalised. So it's really exciting to hear. And then the teams are picking drivers from the driver's pool. So every now and then you see a driver announced. So it is a pretty exciting time. Yeah, so you don't know your team, right? I looked at the site and it looks like you're no, not. Yeah, so also there's no kind of um, guarantee that you get picked from that. So the driver's pool is like a recommended pool of um, drivers that Extremely put together. And the way that it works is teams can contact you and, and pick you from that pool, but also they can pick any driver they wanted from all over the world. They didn't necessarily have to be from that pool. Um, so yeah, it's massively open. And I think it'll be very competitive because I think there's only eight or 12 teams entered at the minute. So um yeah, only two drivers in each. That's going to be um, hot seats. <laughs> so these uh, these races that you do, um, is it is it more like stage rally or is it more like Dakar? I mean, you know, you're racing say, through the Amazon and the Himalayas. Yeah. So. I say it's like a mixed world. I don't know. I haven't obviously like I haven't seen any of the tracks of this new championship, but I think w what it's going to be is a mixture between rallycross and Dakar, um, because obviously it all seems pretty extreme and pretty off road. But I know that it will be in grids, so there's going to be qualifying and it's head-to-head -head racing. Um, mm. There's like it's, there's cool things like Formula E, there's power boosts and all of that kind of thing. So um, yeah, it's bringing that side of electric racing into it. But from what I understand, it is going to be I would say it's very similar to rallycross, but longer length. So I think this is where maybe rally drivers will have the edge because um, it's not just a learning a circuit and learning a loop. It's you know you're going to get one pass of it when you you're able to make your pace notes and then you've got to drive flat out the next time which is what we're used to doing rally so i think that side of it will um, be useful to have that kind of muscle memory of learning a long stage by only one pass um but yeah i think it's going to be you know it's going to be such an exciting championship for sure and um yeah i think it will get a lot of coverage wow so um you guys start more than one car at a time like a bunch of you guys like like yeah, I think it's four cars at the time and they've got different heats of qualifying um, and then they've got silly races and things like that as well. So um, there's a chance to qualify again, if you even if you don't make it. So I think it's going to be really interesting for the fans to watch as well. Um, you know, we saw Formula E where they can vote for like which team they want to have the power boost. I don't know if anything like that's coming in, but I think that's a really cool thing with electric racing that you can kind of control. Mm. Um, and I know that, for example, in, for, uh, in Extremely, the, one of the rules they've got is whoever has the biggest jump on the track gets a power boost so it's going to be a lot of um yeah showboating and um it's going to be interesting to watch i'm like more excited about it now this all sounds very fun <laughs> are, you, are you at all involved in the planning or do you just get periodic updates like well this is what's happening um, yeah, I mean, some, I, I'm kind of I'm in touch with some of the organizers, so they let me know what's um, kind of happening. I do some interviews with them, so I was doing some with like um, BBC Sport in England, talking about the program and um, what it's like to be involved in it. So I'm kind of loosely involved, but not in terms of like haven't driven a car. I'm not kind of actively kind of working on the championship. Um, but yeah, I think there's some rumors of some tests that will happen hopefully later in the year. So it'll be cool to be able to try out the car and um, yeah, hopefully get behind the wheel of it. So have you fun. ever been um an electric car no i've never done electric racing um so i think that's really other than like a hybrid um higher car <laughs> i don't think we can compare it though electric is a new world for me but i think one of the good things is that the teams that are entering seem to be mostly kind of formula e teams or people that have got experience with electric 
um, racing. So I think that's kind of, hopefully it won't be too much of an issue. Um, you know, we're taking that in. It will just be kind of learning how to drive it uh, from a driver's side. But the team seem to, you know, they've all got the experience and all the expertise that they'll be able to transfer from the track racing side. Mm, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I've uh, driven an electric car. It, it's it's really hard because you don't have engine noise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can imagine because you judge a lot. Like even if it's just when to shift up, that kind of thing, you judge from from the sound of it, don't you? Right, right. Yeah, and so then what you hear is a, a lot of the gravel and the wheel wells, right? That's when you know yeah. you're spinning tires, right? <laughs> 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 so that's great. So um, let me ask you another question about this stream E. So I um, did a little reading up on it. And so you guys are, are, are going to be based off of a boat, a ship? Yeah. So the whole point of it is to be kind of um, not polluting the environment. So in terms mm -hmm. of uh, flights and everything like that, I think there's only five people per team that are allowed to go. Um, it's meant to be based from a ship so that we kind of stay on the ship and sleep on the ships that because the ship's being built in to be like an eco hotel so it's you know it's sustainable and it's um, also I guess in some of those locations there probably won't be hotels when we're in like an iceberg in Greenland we'll be lucky for the ships there um, so yeah I think it'll be a massive adventure I know that the cars the, the ship's going to be the paddock so the cars will be run out of that um, and then they'll be transported around the world and the teams won't be able to touch the cars in between races so all of the teams are being built by Extremely so it's a lot more kind of neutral from that side i think for then the next few years there's plans to kind of develop the championship a bit more so that teams can um, bring in their own kind of individual um flares to in terms of like the mechanics of the car um, but i think for now it's all pretty standard for the first year um but yeah the ship sounds cool because it's also going to have a laboratory with scientists on it um and the way that it's going to work is i don't know if you've read this about it but for example, we'll race in like the areas of the rainforest, uh, not the rain, the, uh, in Amazon that have been destroyed. So all the trees have been cut down and, you know, it's just kind of a, a massive land now. We'll race over that kind of terrain. Um, and then when we leave, the plan is for specialists in that area. I think they're from Cambridge University are staying on um, to create pr programs and to develop, to develop the land back up. So whether that's planting trees or like supporting the local economy or whatever it is for like the local people as well, it's meant to be regenerating the areas that we're in. And it's the same, for example, um, in, in the areas that have had tsunamis, um, it's meant to rebuild the, the houses and the, the buildings around there and things like that. So I think it's, yeah, it's, it's a really, really positive message and it's really cool to bring that and to bring motorsports following and their kind of um, awareness to science as well and combining that. And obviously, you know, as we just said earlier, it's so important now um, to think of the planet and to think of the future of everyone. So um, yes, it feels, feels like a really interesting project and um hopefully i'll be on the grid <laughs> yes it's like getting picked for kickball right. like out in <laughs> the schoolyard you're like oh, pick me <laughs> i love it well we will cross our fingers that you get picked for a team i'm sure you will though i'm, I'm sure you will um thank you so much for spending this time with us today tell people where they can find you online and follow along with everything you're doing yeah, so I'm on Instagram. It's Project KT Rally. Um, and that's about the French way with an E on the end of rally. Um, I'm on Twitter as well. And I'm on Facebook. And you can find me on there. I probably, I, I, li I like using Instagram more. So that's probably more interesting for you guys to follow. Um, <laughs> it's like a little art gallery. Um, but yeah, thanks for, thanks for following me. And um, I'll keep you updated on there. Absolutely. Hopefully we'll have you back in, uh, I don't know, six months. And we'll get updates on how everything's going. Yeah, I would love that to. I, lo I look forward to it. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Katie. If you did, we would love to know. 
Take a screenshot and tag us on Instagram or Facebook at Mod Racing. Mod is spelled M-O-D-D because it's an acronym for motorsports and driver development. And just so you know, this podcast is a key part of the driver development piece of our mission. We are always striving to bring you interviews that help you grow in your motorsports journey wherever you might be. Thank you for listening today. We'll catch you on the next one.